Welcome, Twim Nation. This is a wrap-up podcast. I am here today. I am Tiffany Hales, one half of the Twim Sisters, and I also do the Taffy episode known as Tiffany and Friends for You. I am here with a bunch of our other Twim co-hosts today, and we are doing a year-end or a year-in-review episode just to kind of hit the highlights of some of the big stories of the year, stories that we've liked, and some of those Mormons who have been behaving badly. So with me today, I have a number of people. Let's start with Kurt. Why don't you introduce yourself today? Yeah, you know, I'm not a typical voice you hear on This Week in Mormons. Uh, I used to guest host with Jeff, and uh, uh, Jeff uh, begged and pleaded that I uh, that I take over Twin once he was ready to retire. No, that's not not true. But uh, we, I did acquire This Week in Mormons, and mainly just out of my love for Jeff and my love for this brand, we've kept it going, and little by little, we've gathered this this beautiful group of hosts that do such a great job week to week, and they're building their own uh, you know, their own group of, uh, fans out there each week. I think, uh, as I interact with different people and hear emails, of course, uh, Matt, you always get the, the, uh, the fun emails. I think, I think you get that award. If we're giving out awards this year, Matt, you yes. get the uh, negative email, uh, but which I sort of like, I think like, wait, wait, I thought me, it was fun. I thought it was fun emails. <laughs> they fun are fun. Slash negative. They're both. <laughs> they are fun because to me, I'm like, you know, I'm not like disappointed. Like, listen, Matt, you got to clean up your act. I'm like, this is great, Matt. You got some, you got some uh, spicy content to respond to. So, uh, yeah, so I'm here. I'm uh, technically, the the owner I'm the Mark Cuban of this week in Mormons and uh, I'm I'm creating an empire of, of podcasts uh, slowly but surely and uh, I'll sort of be moderating the discussion today and we are planning to release this uh, December thirtieth and we're recording two weeks prior to that so if anybody dies or something hits the news between now and the and the end of the month and we don't talk about it here that's because. Uh, we didn't know. Machine, yeah, we didn't know. Our time machine <laughs> yeah. broke, and we we don't know. So, uh, but we, I'm sure we all had a great Christmas, and uh, ready to jump into this. So that's me. We'll move on. Uh, Melissa, do you want to jump in? Yeah, me and Matt, my uh, twin sibling half, are here. Um, speaking of building fans, we're both fans of the Daniels. So I think we go ahead. We've all <laughs> we've both already said something. I think we go ahead and say, yeah, both the Daniels are here. Hello, you guys. I'm uh, I'm just happy. I'm just thrilled for this time and opportunity to to be with you guys. It's just awesome to meet you in person. How fun is that, right? But yeah, it's it's nice to be together in this session. And and I and I I've, I've been loving to be here with you throughout this episodes, international episodes. Yeah, it's been a great opportunity. I think it's been about six months since we started doing the international episodes with Danny and also with excuse Georgia, who joined us about three months ago as well with some of the of the of the episodes. And this has been a good way for me and Daniel uh, to stay in touch as well. We have uh, a long-standing friendship of over a decade in person, though in Chile. And now both of us left the country; we're in, in different continents. And this has been a way not to reconnect. We've stayed in contact throughout. We have a musical project together or families are are connected but this is another dimension now that, that brought us together and this has been super fun plus getting to know all of you hosts of this week in mormons awesome and uh, like you said georgia's not uh with us she's been a great addition to have that, that strong british accent right and mm-hmm. uh and th- and then ariane is is not joining us as well but that's we, we miss them both 
and then, uh, yeah. So, but I think the international segment, I'll call it, or that routine international episode is, it's really refreshing just that, you know, we get sort of in our bubble here in uh, along the jello belt, as they say. And, uh, it's interesting <laughs> to hear what stories maybe, maybe hit, uh, more, uh, more prominently internationally. And those that, that seem like big stories to us are sort of blips on the radar to the international yeah. Uh, Latter-day Saints. So it'll be good to do a little bit of that contrast, like some of the more local stories. How do they resonate, if they do at all, in, uh, uh, elsewhere? Uh, and I've noticed that in some of our episodes, they're very like church news heavy because that that tends to be what's kind of more of a global scale. Um, but we do have some thoughts on the other ones, so we'll see what comes up. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, maybe before we jump into specific stories, like, uh, did this year, did 2023 feel any different than any other years? Anybody have perspective on that? Or what do you think? Was it just a pretty typical year? I mean, obviously, we can, we're coming out of, you know, 2020, 2021, 22, that, you know, COVID just turned the world upside down. But uh, does it seem like we're back on track with typical Mormon news? Uh, it seems to me like in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the First Presidency, there's kind of like these periods of time where there's no change. And then there's these periods of time where there's a lot of change. And it seems to me like 2023 is sort of the beginning of a period where we're going to see a lot of change in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Just people are getting older. So mm -hmm. in that sense, 2023 seems different. I, I know that's not exactly what you meant, Kurt. But when I think no, about 2023, to me, it's sort of like that's that's what I think of. Yeah, I think each like general conference, right? We It sort of has this this heavier feel to it of like, oh man, like we watched, you know, President Ballard speak and we all sort of felt like, was this the last one? And it was, you know, and, and with each, with many of those older um, apostles and prophets were it's sort of like, wow, this could be it for this person. And it, it's heartbreaking. But uh, and then you, you have a resurgence, right, of, of President Holland. And now he's, you know, dedicating the St. George Temple and that's encouraging. So any yeah, other on, general on, thoughts on on, on a similar note, uh, I, I think it's the first year post-pandemic where we've seen the many of the changes that started right before the pandemic 2018, 2019 uh, actually happen or, or we get to see them, you know, after lockdowns and after all of that, like I'm thinking of the children and youth program changes, it full to our reduction from three to two hour block. Um, uh, Come Follow Me, who's again changing in, very soon in 2024. And uh, the... the, the um, Re retiring uh, young young men's presidencies and things like that. And now I feel like both members and, and us, we're seeing like, are these working? Are they not working as expected and things like that? So it's, it's felt, at least for me as a, on a personal level, as a year of kind of seeing the fruits of some of those things. And uh, similarly to what uh, Matt was saying, maybe we'll see some more course corrections or adjustments uh, as we go into 2024 with some of those things, especially those that might not be um, you know, delivering what, what's expect, expected. Any other thoughts, general thoughts on 2023 and Mormon news? Well, there's a lot of Mormons behaving badly this year. I have, I haven't tracked that, right? I, I think I have to listen to Tiffany more to track that better, but it does seem like the year of the, the wicked Mormon. It's very true. They have been, I mean, we've always, we always have Mormons behaving badly, but the stories that we have had this year in terms of big, huge stories of Mormons behaving badly that have gotten lots of attention, not only on the local level, but on the national level. Um, 
I don't recall a year like that between Ruby Frankie, who is from Eight Passengers uh, fame, arrested for child abuse. Uh, then you had the Lori Vallow trial in which um, just she made us all look crazy. Uh, the stuff that came out with her beliefs. And, you know, for those of us who are active, it was easy to distinguish between what her crazy beliefs are and the mainstream church. But for those who don't have maybe a very limited understanding of the church, it just wasn't a good look. So I was really happy when the Daniel said, yeah, we don't know anything about Lori Vallow. I'm like, good. Maybe it's just been contained to the mountain West. (laughs) And those are things you you hope that don't get too far of a reach. Exactly. And then of course, uh, the never ending saga of Ammon Bundy. So I, I, he's our. I think he's our mascot, right? He's I, well, he 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 is my he is my mascot for Mormons behaving badly because I have given him a lifetime achievement award win because he just is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, and yeah, and does. now he's in hiding. Is that right? I think they can't find him right now. He he is. I I am pontificating that he he's out of the state of Idaho, which is great. I love that. We ran him out. Uh, I am pontificating that he is down in Nevada, hanging out at his dad's ranch. That would be my guess if I were a guessing person, but I don't know for sure. But yeah, he's in hiding. There's a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar warrant out for his arrest. Hey, that so would be a lot of funding yeah. for this week in Mormons. If we exactly, could for sure. yeah. we could come together. We'll rent yeah. a van. And we'll, we'll go hunt him out. Ammon, just so you know, you do not have to become a Patreon subscriber. You could just <laughs> let us turn you in, and that would be sufficient for us. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I love the ideas. Love the ideas. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, specific stories, but let's just do a run through of uh, the, the various stories because it's always, you know, these year in episodes, you think back like to January, February, you think, oh man, was that that long ago? Or that just seems like yesterday, right? So um, we've sort of gathered a list of the top stories of each month that were, were mentioned on This Week in Mormons. And then we'll, we'll highlight some. So in January, you might remember the, the Mormon Microsoft murders. Um, that happened. And then uh, tragically, again, these are all Mormons behaving badly. The murder suicide, unfortunately, that, that took place in, uh, was it Spanish? Enoch. Or? It was Enoch. in Enoch. Yeah, down in uh, um, southern Utah. Yep. And then and, February, and I don't even, what are, what okay. are the, my, the Microsoft murders? What are those? There was, what was it, uh, Tiffany? I think you talked about this, right? The, yeah, there was there a Microsoft was employee. A former. Yeah, he he worked for Microsoft. He was living in Florida. Uh, he and his wife divorced, and uh, his wife uh, hails from uh, Shelley Gardner, who is big in Utah in the craft scene, stamping up. She's Shelley Gardner's daughter. Anyway, it is alleged because it has not been uh, he's, that she's not been convicted yet that the that his ex wife hired a gentleman to kill him. And he was killed. Uh, He had his kid in the car. He just dropped off the kids that he and the ex-wife shared together. He had a kid in the car that he had with his new wife. He got out to move something in the middle of the road that had been specifically placed in the road in his way. And he was shot. So, again, not not, it goes along the line with those Mormons who are behaving badly. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Not not too directly related to Microsoft, but it makes a good alliteration, you know. So again, oh, it does. Got to circle them in there. <laughs> um, and then in February, we had the SEC SEC fines that the church uh, uh, received. Uh, then 
March, a new BYU president. Uh, I guess nothing happened in April other than general conference. And then May, the 60 minute story hit, which uh, was in the news, the news feed for a while. And then the Lori Vallow, Lori Vallow was found guilty in May. Uh, the uh, Latter-day Saint wins American Idol and new BYU Idaho president in May. And then the children, children's author poisons husband. Oh boy. And, and then in June, uh, Elder Holland's one. health struggles. You know, he was checked into a hospital. And we found find out, you know, more recently that he was definitely on death's door. And even himself thought he was on his way out. Elder Ballard, you know, President Ballard in, uh, visited him in the hospital. And I'm sure they'd be shocked to realize that President Ballard would have passed before Elder Holland. Uh, Joseph yeah. Smith papers completed in June. Uh, July, Sister Holland passes. Uh, the Sound of Freedom blockbuster hits It's the scene. Uh, August, the YSA conference, which I had the opportunity to speak at. It was phenomenal. I went to the concert as well. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, and then BYU updates the honor code. And then uh, Tiffany's favorite month was September, where she talked nonstop <laughs> about anybody with the last name of Ballard. Uh, we'll, we'll visit that. Uh, Mitt Romney announces he's not going to run for re-election. President Nielsen turns 99. Elder Bednar visits Silicon Slopes. A new hymn book is announced. I don't know. I guess it's been announced, but it's like more details about the new hymn book. Uh, three temples dedicated on one Sunday. Then the eight passengers abuse uh, scandal hits. Man, September was busy. Uh, Tiffany was all sorts of uh, Mormons behaving badly that month. And then uh, President Nelson donates his journals in September. Uh, and uh, October, 38 temples announced in 2023. Sister Irene passes away. Orm Temple Open House begins. November, 36 new missions created. Elder Uchtdorf is goes to D.C., President Nielsen returns to work after his uh, his injury, his fall. Uh, Elder Ballard passes. President Holland becomes President Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve. And then in December, in December, Elder Karen is called to the Quorum of the Twelve. So there's a roundup. And uh, Tiffany, let's let's bounce to you as far as your. Let's start with the, what's the story of 2023 in your in your mind. Well, this is going to come as a shock to no one, but it is the Tim Ballard story. I, I mean, you could make a movie out of the Tim Ballard story. And there was a movie that was kind of loosely based on one version of the Tim Ballard story. So this this story, the reason I picked this as my number one is because there are so many layers to it. And there's so many things that tie into it. For example, you mentioned Mitt Romney not running for Senate. You know, there was some serious talk that Tim Ballard was going to run for that Romney seat before all of this broke. And and Tim Ballard had been a, a, a figure on the national scene for quite some time with his child trafficking stuff. And then, of course, the movie came out and there was all sorts of buzz all over social media when the movie came out. And it was really interesting because, again, uh, just the narrative that and I and I, I can't I mean, I have to tie all of these together because they're all so interwoven. But the narrative around the movie was this was the movie Hollywood didn't want you to see. And evil, evil Hollywood didn't want you to see this movie. And that was all you saw on social media. And I did a, a pretty thorough breakdown of that's really not what happened, folks. That's what they're telling you happened. But that's not really what happened. And also around that same time when the movie came out, he separates from Operation Underground Railroad, and they're very quiet about that. And it, it, it just, 
I have to say, he has not passed the smell test for me for a number of years. But he had such a cult-like following that you couldn't say that. If you questioned him or anything, it was like, well, you must, you must, you must like child sex trafficking because uh, either you like child sex trafficking. If you if you question Tim Ballard, then you support child sex trafficking. I mean, there was no kind of middle ground. And then, of course, in September, uh, his life. Uh, unravels rather quickly with an article that came out in Vice. And there was so much chatter because there was a statement from the church PR department, basically Elder Ballard denouncing Tim Ballard. And was this really from the church PR department? And lots of Tim Ballard supporters did not believe that this statement came from the church PR department. And then as the story began to unravel and as women came out of the woodwork who were abused by him, uh, his supporters all kind of peeled away, including Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck was a very close personal friend of his and Glenn Beck spent an entire episode on his uh, podcast kind of breaking things down and saying, you know, hey, I believed him. And then I started investigating and had my team investigate. And now I believe these women. And and now we're up to Sean Reyes, who is the attorney general for Utah. And he has decided not to run. And he has also come out and said, hey, I believe these women. And he was a big supporter of Tim Ballard. And now Tim Ballard's facing numerous lawsuits. I mean, the thing just went on. It it, it was almost as good as Adam, Ammon Bundy and the gift that kept on giving to me. So that was my number one story for the year. I thought it was, I thought it was a big deal. Yeah. You know, and, and I, you and I, uh, Tiffany are the only ones that picked this as the number one story. And the reason I picked it is that, uh, it just, just because it reached so high up in the church, you know, to that, it, uh, put elder Ballard or president Ballard in a really tough spot. Um, and that, you know, the PR jumps in there and I remember it hit the news like at the end of the week when, when Matt and Melissa recorded an episode and Melissa mentioned yeah. it quickly and, and it was still sort of just, you know, coming to the surface. And I remember I emailed them and I said, I don't know if that story's real. Right. <laughs> yeah. We got an email from you right after we yeah. recorded and you said, I don't know if that story's real. And I kind of, I kind of got a little bit scared and, and texted <laughs> Matt and was like, can you double check your source? And he's like, no, I guarantee it's, it's a real yeah. story. We're going to be seeing a lot more from this. And I was like, okay, all right. Yeah. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And now yeah. uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, I actually, I, you know, I have opportunity to speak on these, I've uh, done a few LDS cruises. Yeah. We're, we're all roll our eyes. They're actually a lot of fun. Okay. So you're all invited. <laughs> we're going to do a twin cruise someday. Yes. Uh, right when that sponsor, if we get that, that bounty money, um, we're going to, yeah. we're going to sponsor a cruise. So, <laughs> so cruise many the Jordan times. river in Utah. Yeah. That's right. Thanks for the invite. I'll take the pass. So I was, <laughs> I was one of the speakers along with Tim Ballard on this cruise. And my wife and I hmm. sat and had a 90-minute discussion with Tim Ballard. Just a very friendly, talking about his experiences and whatnot. And and so, uh, and he told us about his relationship with Elder Ballard and how it was very positive. And, and he didn't do it. I didn't feel like it was inappropriate how he handled it there. It was just, you know, casual talk. And he never felt like he couldn't talk about it. And that became a big part of the scandal is that, the church articulated that he was using Elder Ballard's name in a way that, you know, to, to raise funds. And again, I, I didn't experience that personally, but for anybody who has sat in a presentation with Tim Ballard, like I've been to like uh, BYU presentations, whatnot, where he's talked about 
Operation Underground Railroad and the work they do, like by the end of the presentation, everybody in the room feels like, why are we not quitting our job and dedicating our life to this mission? Because it was just so convincing. And of course, yeah, child trafficking is a tragedy and, and should not be happening. And so, again, as this all comes back, I can, I mean, I've been under that, that, uh, you know, that day of, of that spell of Tim Ballard, right. Of being like, wow, you know, like this guy gets it and he's doing some remarkable things. And I'm sure to some d- degree he was doing some great things. I don't know. It is what it is, but yeah, I think it was uh, the top story of 2023 just because it reached so high in the corner of the 12. It made, you know, we saw a different side of the PR department as far as hey, how they function and whatnot. And so very fascinating. Any other thoughts about Tim Ballard uh, podcast for me uh, from an international perspective or well, from a personal perspective, Danny cannot his, his other, <laughs> other side, I guess, but uh, very similarly, like I've known of Tim Ballard for some time, maybe seven years or so. And uh, I might've mentioned it in one of the episodes. Uh, I think I found out through uh, a former assistant missionary that served in my ward ages ago. She's from Latin America as well. On my Facebook feed, this OUR logo popped up that she had been gone through like an online course. She was certified or something. I was like, what is this OUR thing? And I click through, I get into the rabbit hole and I see this thing about this guy kind of going out there and trying to save children. And um, uh, maybe I'm too cynical and too skeptical, but it didn't pass the, the smell test to me from day one. Maybe it's my, my, my sensitivity uh, as, a, as an international person and kind of the, the, this kind of quick radar of detecting white saviorness on things and and maybe uh, uh, more trust in more official institutions taking care of things like that rather than letting entrepreneurs to jump in and kind of save the world for it, which is th- seems to be something more that resonates more in, a, in an American culture. So from day one, I was like, mm, I'm not sure, not sure, kind of a bit, bit of skepticism. Years pass on and kind of that, that first impression gets validated in a way with the things that I saw only about a month before this whole thing broke. There was a video on social media going around of Tim Ballard going to Chile, of all places, <laughs> going to my country, <laughs> to pick up his son from his mission. I think he served in the Viña del Mar mission or, or one of the Santiago missions. Um, and it, it, They're very close it, to us, by the way. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, very it, close to us, yes. In, in our, they're in, our area, basically, yes. And yeah. the, the, wow. this, this viral video, he was like walking into the meeting house, kind of like a stint operation, you know, into the meeting house and walking into the sacrament meeting where his son was giving his kind of farewell mission testimony or talk. And he kind of stands there, salutes him, and everybody kind of laughs. And he basically busts into sacrament meeting and it went viral and kind of disrupting, you know, the whole spirit of... Wow. So this was like the first time he's, him and his son are reuniting? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like the couple of days before (laughs) he was meant to go back and I guess he wanted to surprise... His son, who knows if it was arranged or not, but but the video, of course, went viral on, on all of like the Spanish-speaking Mormon news type of uh-huh. uh, places. And I remember seeing the comments and the the division that it created, kind of like, oh, this is so lovely, and like the you know falling for it. And then the other half, I was like. That's really inappropriate, like on so many levels, disrupting a sacrament meeting or, or just doing it for his own gain. You know, the debate was salacious and it was fun. And, and of course, I took a side on that debate. But only like a month after that is when everything broke in September. So I, I had already built a little bit of an opinion on it. And actually, what came out seemed pretty on brand with the, the, the view that I had acquired mm-hmm. about it. Now, the one last thing I'm going to say about it is I don't think anybody around me here 
has any idea who Tim Ballard is. I'm probably the one outlier that follows kind of global church news or Mormon adjacent news. And, and I know, and, and I'm still debating internally, like, should people know more about it? Because all the things that you, you discussed, kind of the access that he had to very senior leadership, the way that uh, senior leadership engaged with, with him, the, the power that he ended up harnessing as a result of those relationships, especially in high concentration areas like Utah or the Mountain West, where he really took advantage of that. Uh, and, and, you know, while the story remains developing, it's quite obvious <laughs> that that it's already kind of taken kind of a, a direction and a specific trajectory. So part of me wishes, like, people should know more, should be informed and, and in a way voice their concern if they have one as to how uh, the church as an institution and very senior church leadership engages with uh, non-state actors, with non-official kind of official actors, with these private per persons uh, and the risk that that carries. Because if this year teaches us anything, not just with this story, but many others, is that uh, there, there is an inherent risk in, in the degree of, of engagement that we have with, with certain parties like Tim Ballard. You know, when Melissa and I first talked about Tim Ballard, the only thing I knew about him is that he wrote some bad history books that were being sold at Deseret <laughs> Book. And my only initial reaction was, I hope Deseret Book will get rid of those like crazy Washington hypothesis, Lincoln hypothesis books. I didn't know anything else about him. So I think, hmm. I think you have to live in kind of a particular space to have known a lot about Tim Ballard. And I'm just not in that space. Yeah. Uh, just to add up, I'm here in New York State, upstate New York. I haven't heard anyone, anyone talking about Tim Beller so far. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, adding up to that. <laughs> well, I think overarching, and this is kind of what Daniel was getting at, is that what we've seen is a lot of cult-like following of people, right? So yeah. I feel like Chad and Lori Daybell, Vallow, that was, yeah. that was, they have a huge cult-like following. Tim Ballard, same thing. Even the yeah. Ruby Frankie, like her online presence, she has all these people who follow her because she's a trusted member of the church and the way she parents must be good. And, and I think overarching, uh, and this is kind of what Daniel was getting at, is that we really need to look at the way that we hold up people just because they're of the same faith as us. And then um, we get drawn in into these um, followings. It, it's, I think it's worth noting. Yeah. 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 That's interesting because – and maybe maybe it's just a human thing and you'd find it in whatever group is out there but obviously i'm more uh familiar with the group i live in where we've are i mean our culture provides 15 people to to look to and follow and and hmm. you know look to for guidance and whatnot but nonetheless we still create these you know maybe i shouldn't say icons. We, but individuals create these icons that yeah we we sort of turn into cult followers at times and just follow them and down a path that suddenly it blows up in our face or, or turns sour, you know, but maybe that's too generalized of a statement. I, I don't mean to, to be that way, but so anything else around uh, Tim Ballard that needs to be said before we, we move on. So. Stick a fork in him. He's done. <laughs> there, he is. there it is. At least uh, Tiffany's tired of talking about him. So hopefully he's done. So, hey, there's still time to submit his application for the Utah Senate race, right? I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I can nominate people for the Nobel Peace Prize, but I don't think I will nominate him this year. Okay. <laughs> Safe choice. All right. Uh, let's go to the Twim Daniels. You both had the same uh, number one pick for the story. So let's jump into that. What's your number one story of 2023? Elder Kieran. Elder so... Kieran. I mean, 
probably again very international perspective, but I love the fact that he's not from from the U.S. Right, and 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 that that shows that the church has grown, you know, and matured enough in other places on Earth. Right, so you, you get this this very interesting people called, and we've seen a lot, you know, seventies being called from different parts of the world, and that's that's great. Uh, probably, I'm going to use a very poor, you know, uh, example, but I like this, you know, Benetton church where there are different colors and different, you know, people, sizes, you know, and I love that, right? Because I, I feel more represented to that, right? And and, and uh, I believe that calling someone that is not from the U.S. shows that uh, we've got different stories and, and different leaders that have been prepared their whole life to be called, right? Or to be ready to be called. And I think no one in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, nor even in the First Presidency, were living a life necessarily that will prepare them to what happened. It was just their honest decisions, their honest actions, and life, you know, and, and, and the Lord, of course, prepared them to, to, to narrow their path in such a way that uh, they were ready to be called, and then, of course, they were enabled to serve. So I, I love that from from Elder Kieran. I think we, we discussed it uh, lengthy in our episode that, I mean, he's a convert. I mean, he has a very interesting story, which I also love and, 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 and I really uh, appreciate because as, as we were saying just a minute ago about icons, right, and about uh, we naturally as humans, we, we always find people that is more similar to us or, or we feel more relatable to. Right. And in this case, Elder Kieran represents a very interesting segment of the church that are converts, right? People that that joined the church uh, when they were young. I've seen here lots of very good examples in uh, the church community here in, in New York State, upstate New York. Uh, people that converted after, I don't know, um, Vietnam War, right? They were, re- they were, you know, veterans and they were here and then they got word about the church because of a, I don't know, world uh, expo or because missionaries knock on their doors and then they were looking for the meaning of life, right? So I love that. I love that uh, the church is for everyone, right? No matter which history you've got, if you have, I don't know, uh, great-grandparents that were pioneers, that's great. That, uh, I applaud that. But if you're a new convert, if you're a new member of the church, you're also able to serve you're also able to to provide all your experience and 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 your personal insight about about what 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 you think of christ what you think of of the restored gospel so i don't know that's my take on on under kieran at this point yeah Yeah. for for me it's the 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 reason i ranked it at the top same reasons as danny mentioned and i'm gonna use a very u.s centric example for being an international host but the the quorum of the 12 is a little bit like the supreme court in the u.s right it's lifetime appointments and uh while this broke this year the impact of this calling will be felt for decades to come, assuming that Elder Kieran will live uh, a long life like, like most apostles. So, the, um, and, and another thing that, that I was thinking of, sorry? He's very young. Isn't he only like 61 or, so, or early 60s? Yeah, yeah. 62, yeah. It's quite young, so... I think I got in trouble recently for saying that 60 was old, so I guess I take that back. (laughs) Yes, as well you should have gotten in trouble, because I heard that and I cringed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I was thinking also of the... Going back to the U.S. Supreme Court, more secular parallels to it. 
when there is a president in the U.S., they are the ones that name or that, that propose the names and then go, goes through a Senate hearing and all of that. It's not the same process, but there's an, a potential equivalence in that mm. uh, it is a church president that extends that calling, right? And looking at President Nelson's appointments or, or callings for new apostles, uh, all of them bring uh, a flavor that is uh, in, in a way divergent from the, the norm over the last 180 or 90 years of the church with uh, the first South American and, and Latin American apostle with uh, the first one uh, of Asian descent and now uh, just like the, the fifth English and the first one in over 100 years uh, of the first convert in, in generations probably. Uh, and, and that says a lot. And, and I did speculate a little bit on, on the episode when we talked about it a, a week or so ago, that the fact that it, he was called off cycle as well shows a, a little bit of that urgency. And I can't help but read it as President Nelson being 99 and thinking, I need to make this call now. <laughs> I can't wait. And and in a way, <laughs> ensuring a legacy that, that outlives him for, again, decades, maybe 30 yeah. more years if he lives up to, to being 92 years old. We're going to have Elder Kieran around with this flavor of leadership as well that is very much on the end of compassion and and, and, and all of that, that sometimes I, I, I worry how, how some, some members interpret it and they project some of kind of their, their more social or political views on that. And I hope they don't get disappointed eventually. But <laughs> but but it's, it's a good thing to see kind of this array of of different views, but all centering Christ. And I'm really hopeful for it. I hope not to be. So I have, to, as well. I, I have two questions that I, I wanted to ask the both of you. So one, I know a lot of people were hoping that there would be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles who's a native Spanish speaker. And then the other question I have is um, having a native Spanish speaker who doesn't speak any English at all. I think it was like four or five years ago, there were some general conference talks that were not in English and they were translated to English from the native language. Do you think that it would be good or important or different maybe? Like what would be the value of having a native Spanish speaker and or a native Spanish speaker that doesn't know English at all in church leadership? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. I, I think, in a way, I've made that to myself a couple of times, and and it's curious. I think, inevitably, the church kind of uh, has its own culture, right? But when it reaches different countries, then inevitably gets a bit permeated, right? And, and even though we've got the same meetings and then we've got the same, you know, sacrament and, you know, uh, these are activities and, and whichever uh, organization we, we, we see, uh, it's different from country to country. And, and, and you see those differences and those, some of them are fun. Some of them are kind of annoying in, in some cases. <laughs> we try to keep it, you know, we try to keep it under the handbook, right? But you know, yeah, people are people, and then you, you see some some nuances here and there, right? And having someone that is not able to communicate, right, with the rest of the quorum would be very difficult. I mean, having a translator every time, all the time, would be a huge barrier in terms of you know interaction and participation. So, so that would be my first, you know, uh, concern about calling someone that is not capable of fluently communicating, right? We've I got mean, an accent, right? This... So, so we get it, right? So so there's no issue <laughs> with that. I, I, I don't have an issue with the accent. I'm, I'm just saying that humans need the interaction and then whether we write it or, or we we verbally explain ourselves, it's there's a time and there's an opportunity to do so. So yeah. if you have a translator 24-7, right? 
it will build up a barrier that I think is way more complex than, than we might think at the first place. Even being here for me, like a year and a half here at church, I've been in the church my whole life, and still there is a slight barrier because I don't, ha- I don't have all the words, all the expressions for things, right? So it's been a learning transition itself, right? So having said that, having someone that is fluent both in Spanish and in English, I mean, right now we've got Elder Suarez. He's fluent in Spanish, Portuguese, and English, right? So he's great, right? He's awesome. What I'm saying is that calling someone from from the Spanish-speaking community, again, shows uh, another way of uh, understanding that the church has grown enough, right? And and leadership and experiences uh, had permeated so much in the Spanish-speaking community that there is someone that has been called by revelation, right? That, that there are people that are... Uh, seasoned leaders, right, that, that have been called by God to become, you know, the next. And I believe that will be great. But if it didn't happen today, it is because I believe in Revelation. And therefore, I believe that for whatever reason, right, the prophet decided that this was the time for someone from the UK. And I and I welcome that. But I think that there is a barrier that it, it will be kind of unsurmountable. That's my personal take on it. Yeah, if I it's just Spanish that. speaking. I agree on the language bit, but uh, what I would add is if somebody from the Spanish-speaking world is called uh, more important than the language or or than the ethnicity or all of that, for me would be that is someone that led in Latin America or in a Spanish-speaking area outside of the U.S. that kind of knows that reality from the ground up. I think that's where the, the real value comes and kind of the secondary aspect of, of adding to the ethnic diversity and language diversity. So it's a good kind of extra, but, but I think what, we're, what really adds value is that. And it's one of the things that I'm really happy about Elder Kieran being called because despite him being another white male, you know, all of the, other than that, all of the rest adds so much so much value, so much diversity that it's really secondary that he's not from Latin America or from the Pacific Islands, which is also one of our biggest demographics, or from Africa, which is the fastest growing, and uh, or the Philippines, uh, etc. But uh, I think that, that will come with time. And uh, despite many people uh, maybe in, uh, taking President Nelson as a very kind of conservative president, I think on, on this particular side, he has proven to be really forward-looking and kind of future-proofing the church uh, for, uh, for its... Uh, obviously, more diverse future with more diverse leadership at the at the top shelf, so to speak. Awesome. Anybody else uh, have thoughts or comments, questions about Elder Kieran being called to the corner of the twelve? Pretty cool. We're all excited. I just appreciate you know, no matter uh, where people stand, I think everybody's just really excited by by this. You know, that to have just his past conference talks just the the spirit you feel from the man it's it was i don't a few were surprised i think that when he was called um and well, you're right on the excitement i think when when elder I, the previous calls uh, were elder renland stevenson and rasband and i was like oh great we have replacements but we didn't really know much about them i had to like google elder renland to to find out oh he was in the 70s like uh which is fine you know they don't have to be celebrities or anything like that but this is unique in that he was called and many people already were like jubilant they were really really happy with it so well and they so he was scheduled to give a commencement address at BYU Hawaii and then the church put out uh, a media <clears throat> they like did a video with him like what was it like to be called and how do you feel about that so those aspects of the call are really new, right? Where I've never heard a member of the Quorum of the Twelve 
talk so personally and openly about the calling and how they felt about the calling right after they were called, because typically it's general conference. And so I thought that was a new and unique. I actually kind of liked that they did that. Yeah, I liked it too. Yeah. Awesome. All right. The twin siblings, Matt and Melissa, you also picked the same number one story. You're colluding or something. What's happening? <laughs> but so Well, be- we'll let Melissa go first because she was she says it's the temples, right, Melissa? Yeah. Um I think the reason the temples okay, so we had um we had a lot of temples announced this year. Um thirty-eight temples announced this year. We had, I think, around a dozen at this point temples dedicated. Um, and we had a lot of temples moving forward as far as like groundbreaking or um, sites dedicated. Um, and um, so to date, President Nelson has announced 133 temples. Um, wow. The reason I picked it as the main story of the year is because I think it's proof that the church is marching forward with what's really important. I think we get a lot of distractions Um both in church news, but just in the world too. Um, and I think this shows that like at the end of the day, um, the temples are really, really important and we're going to continue to move forward. Um, I mean, I think they're a great missionary tool. I think the open houses are a great missionary tool, but for me, what it comes down to is covenant making. And I know for me personally, like there are with all of us, probably times where I'm like, I don't think I agree with that decision of the church or that policy of the church, or I'm really struggling with this concept of the church. But when I think about why do I stay and why am I committed, it's because the church gives me access to covenants. And covenants at the end of the day are what what save us and what tie us to God. And so when I look at what's the most important story, I think it's the fact that people are going to have more access to the ability to make covenants, to tie them to God. And that's why I think it's the most important story. And there's a lot of talk about what the church does or does not do with its assets. I was with Mm. a youth group recently. They're building the Smithfield Temple, and there's like a trailer next to it that functions as a visitor center where youth can go and kind of hear about the construction of the temple. And so the missionaries there were telling us about the kinds of like, uh, I think it's, I don't know, marble, I don't know, granite, something, or they're telling us where all the materials are coming from. They're going through all the details of construction. And I don't know a lot about construction, but as I'm listening to them describe, like, we get this material shipped from Portugal and we get this material shipped like this. And I just thought, these temples are outrageously expensive. And, you know, you ask the missionaries, how much is this temple going to cost? And they're like, we don't know. Like, that's not a number (laughs) that they tell us. Each one of those temples is going to be, I would think, millions of dollars to build, right? And so... um. The, the church, it's true, maybe does have a slush fund with money that could do a lot of good. But I appreciate that they're choosing to spend a lot of that money on building temples and getting temples closer to people. Agreed, that, yeah. Uh, what, I, what I thought as well is that on the same vein of Elder Kieran and kind of like the, the long-term impact of such decisions, these decisions are one-way doors, right? A temple is built and it's going to be there for a long time, if not forever, you know? And that means that the the, the topology of temples or, the, the, uh, you know, the, their proximity to people, that I see a change in the future on what uh, the church experience will be like because those need to be manned. They need to be run, you know? And mm-hmm. by being closer to people uh, and by having more of them, we need more people serving in the temple. 
uh, and while we're decreasing kind of the Sunday schedule and kind of uh, reducing the load on weekly activities and things like that, I see that naturally much of that will be now uh, covered by the demand that temples will create uh, more locally. Uh, before, you know, maybe the area surrounding the temple uh, were the ones feeding most of that 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 labor, you know, the, the, those those labor hours. But now it's going to be much more of that. I, I wonder what that's going to look like in the long run. And I would be dishonest to myself if I didn't share some of that, that more temporal concern of these are expensive buildings, not just to build, yeah. but also to run in the long term. And as the demographics and kind of the makeup of, of, of the church evolves over time uh, with lower birth rates and, and, and things like that, uh, I wonder that about the sustainability of it. Maybe it's a big bet that the second coming is really close and that won't matter much. But, but, Let's um, splurge before the end. Kind yes. of. Yeah, the, the Let's hope for it. Yeah. yeah. The more analytical part of me kind of flares up and I'm like, oh, those are expensive. But, but looking at it with an eye of faith and, and thinking of what this, this is going to feel at the local level because, yeah, we're going to be asked to serve in the temple much more. That's what I anticipate. Well, and and my related top story is the 36 new missions that were announced. Three new missions just in Utah. To me, that says that there's a lot of missionary work happening in Utah, which, you know, I I lived most of my life in Utah. And we always talked about the mission field as being some other place. But when you're putting three new missions just in the state of Utah, that suggests there's a lot of missionary work to be done in the state of Utah. But also the 36 new missions indicates that kind of we're back from COVID. I remember when missionaries were coming home from all over the world and there was wonder like, will we ever be able to do missionary work like that again? And I think that this just shows, yeah, we will. I mean, it's different, but the missions, missionary work is growing and missionaries are, there's more missionaries than there were before. So that was my other big story. Yeah. You know, I think in a lot of these new missions, they were once, they were created a few years ago when we had the surge of the, the age change. Right. And so I think there's another indication along with what Matt said that, uh, that we are, we're, we're, these missions will probably be around a long time. They're not just to accommodate a surge of missionaries. It's like that surge is now just consistent and uh, it's a great, great thing. Um, so going back to the 38 temples announced, I have a, a theory that I've never really had a venue to share it because it's a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> All right. We're ready. We're ready. That's this what we do here, this right? <laughs> so I, I don't know. I may, I may edit this out, but uh, uh, so... And I'll first let me preface it that I I believe deeply and have deep testimony of revelation, prophets, seers, or revelators. Uh, I don't think uh, a lot of the inspiration is maybe black and white like uh, we like to think that you know that no matter who the prophet is, he would have done this this and that, and it would have been the same direction. Obviously, every prophet, just like any leader, brings their own personality, and there's doctrinal statements. You know, doctrine comes one twenty eight verse nine. If you really want to dig into it, but um, I have always felt, I just keep seeing indicators of this, that there's sort of a passive aggressive, uh, what would be with the world, a passive aggressive, almost competition between president Nelson and president Hinckley where <laughs> president Hinckley, you know, early on elder Nelson, when he was elder Nelson, he gave this talk about the name of the church, right? And this was years ago yeah. before he was president. Right. And then president Hinckley came on and said, no, no, no. Like some have said that that's a, it's, you know, a, we got to use the name of the church, but you know, president Hinckley was much more of a PR person, marketing guy, like, like me. I think I like the the name Mormon. That's well, he, he led into the I'm a Mormon campaign, right? Like he leaned into that. 
Yeah. Exactly. And then, and, and, and I think, you know, some of us who've been bishops or leaders, you know, you sort of sit there thinking when you're not the leader thinking someday, if I made the leader, I'm going to do it this way. Right. Which I think <laughs> I'm is gonna a good get rid of scouting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then, and so president Nelson sort of gets his chance. Right. And so not only, you know, president Hinckley announced a ton of temples and he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, hold my root beer. Like, boom. Like <laughs> how, how much was it, Melissa, that he's announced a hundred and something? 36. 136. Right. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, he really, he triples down on the name of the church and these things. And so I get, I get it sort of, I, I think we love to think that they get together and they just all agree and they all have their the same agenda and whatnot. But I, and I appreciate this dynamic leadership, you know, I'm sort of the leadership guy. Um, I, I appreciate them. They bring their own personality, but I do feel like because even president Nelson with there's, it's sort of been alluded to that sometimes he makes announcements of temples, even though maybe all the, all the things, all the ducks aren't in a row, like the, the, the Shanghai one, the Russian Russia, temple, even some Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And where people like the locals are like, wait a minute. Like even the local leaders are like, uh, do we even have a parcel of land? Like what's going on here? You know, what's more dramatic than saying I'm going to be the first prophet to announce four temples in one city on one day. Like (laughs) that's dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. Like his leadership is so inspiring to me where he's like, I'm going to cast a vision of temple building and, Whatever you think, Daniel, no matter how much it costs, we're going to do it, right? So it's like, ah, oh, like it's just like, you got we got money, you right? We're good. <laughs> so anyways, that's sort of, I know it's maybe not that inappropriate, but some people are like, hey, no, these President Hinckley and President Nelson were best buds and they never disagreed. But no, I think there's a little bit of uh, this sort of competition of like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take this up a notch, which I think is yeah. great leadership. Uh, so well, maybe not directly related, but I was thinking about kind of that, that same concept of the divergence of, of leadership. And I believe that's something that the Lord uses to steer his church in the direction that he needs to. Uh, but, but, also with that comes the fallibility, or not fallibility, but like, you know, the human humaneness of, of people. But I was thinking in, in churches that have been around for a while, you know, these leadership schools of thought develop and eventually whole orders of priesthood, you know, branch out. Like you see that in the Catholic tradition with the with the Jesuits and the, I don't know the names of the other orders, the Opus Dei who are huge in Spain and in Chile, you know, very different schools of thoughts that when I think about kind of, the, the example that you are sharing, you know, kind of a more Hinklean school of thought versus Nelsonian, and in the middle you have the Monsonian kind <laughs> of tradition. You know, eventually, yeah. give us give us the hundred years. Will we divert into having orders of different kind of not priesthood? Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But I think yeah. human nature leads us a little bit in that direction. And when you, President Kieran moves the headquarters to the UK, that'll be huge. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, but but I agree. I think it's a it's a uh, it's good to say it out loud because sometimes we think it and in our church culture, we feel hesitant to share these things, but it's completely yeah. valid. I see a little bit of that, which doesn't necessarily mean that there's any sort of enmity. But but, but yeah, uh, we see at the local level, why not at the, at the global level as well? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm Tiffany, convinced nobody, nobody can convince me otherwise that... Uh, the, the the this continuance of of the scouting program in the U.S. is directly linked to waiting for President Monson to not be around anymore because he was a big <laughs> supporter and there was yeah. unanimity after that. I have no proof, but I have no doubt either. <laughs> you don't think if he lived two more years, just two more years, President Monson would have done that? Oh. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Tiffany, were you going to say something? 
I, you know, I was just going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was actually thinking this very same thing last night. Um, you know, my husband had come home from work and he was describing a, a problem that he had at work and how he had engineered it. And he said, that's Mormon engineering. And I thought, you know, you can't really say that's Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints engineering. That just doesn't, that just doesn't, you know, in the context that he was using it in. And it just made me think of the, of the whole name thing. And I, I do agree with you. I think for, you know, whatever reason, um, not that, you know, because I fully believe that President Nelson was inspired, but the name thing has had been probably a pet peeve for, of his for several years. And just like what you said, I think it's not uncommon when leaders say, you know, when I get a chance to run the show, this is how I'm going to do it. And this is going to be my leadership style. And I'm fine with yep. that. Yep. Where should we go next? Is anybody is there a story on there? Whether in your top ten, obviously we can't go through every story in everybody's top ten, or we're just talking about every story in twenty twenty three practically. So, uh, what what needs to be mentioned in this episode? All right, now that we have talked about all of our favorite stories, let's talk about some of those Mormons behaving badly. We touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the show, but my gosh, the Mormons have been out of control this year. so starting with and and i get i know i touched on a little bit about it ruby frankie and the abuse case and that is going on and i think the latest on that is uh her husband has filed for divorce and he is seeking custody of the kids and so the courts in utah are trying to sort all of that out but certainly when the details came out about um those children being tied up and having rope burns associated with being tied up and how the one boy was able to escape and get to the neighbor's house. I mean, it's just, it's pretty awful. And, um, can I ask you a question? Cause I'm not as familiar with Ruby. Sure. Sankey. So there was her and a friend of hers that was like a therapist of some kind, yes. right? So yes. What's Jody. The most, what's the most shocking thing about that story? Um, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a couple of things that shock me about this story. First of all, the level of abuse for the kids. And there's a lot of allegations that the therapist really kind of brainwashed Ruby Frankie and that also brainwashed the husband because the husband was told he was a really bad father and a really bad husband. And he had not seen or had contact with the kids in over a year before the abuse came out. I do thoroughly believe that there was a lot of manipulation on the part of the therapist. But even before she got hooked up with that therapist, you go back and you look at her videos and how she was disciplining and interacting with her children. And granted, every parent has a right to parent the way they see fit. Um, You know, her parenting was not without controversy even before she got hooked up with the therapist. Once she got hooked up with the therapist, they were then doing all sorts of videos and people were following them and, and following their, their parenting and therapy style. And, uh, and, and so to me, I think the, the, the level of abuse and damage to those kids is what really kind of tugs at my heart and hurts my heart. Okay. So they were pretending to be one thing. And in reality, there was something very different. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then, and then you, you know, talk about Lori Vallow and, um, while she did not testify directly at her trial, there were lots of people who testified about statements that Lori had made and just kind of all sorts of, um, fringe, 
uh, LDS theological, where she, where she has taken a little bit of the truth and expanded it out into something that it's not. And so all sorts of crazy um, came out in her trial. And we're not done with that because her husband, Chad Daybell, is set to begin his trial in April of this year. So this will be 2.0. The one interesting thing that has occurred recently on that is the judge has allowed that trial to be broadcast. So we had no broadcast footage from the Lori Vallow trial, but we will have cameras in the courtroom for Chad's trial. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what sort of a dynamic that 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 brings there. Um, but certainly, again, stories of abuse of those kids and just it just always kind of baffles my mind, both with Ruby Frankie and Lori Vallow, how people go down these rabbit holes of believing these crazy things. And how do they get into that psychological spot where they are susceptible to um, believing all sorts of stuff that if you if you look at it on its face, you just go, no, that that doesn't ring true to it. And so that's an element that fascinates me is because I can't wrap my head around how that happens. So if anybody has any thoughts on how that happens, I'd be open to that because I don't get it. Make it make sense to me. That's something I think about a lot because people will frequently ask me like, why are members of the church so like easily duped and why do they believe in conspiracy theories and stuff like that? And I think, first of all, I'm not sure that members of the church are different than anybody else. But the second thought I have is we all believe that a 14 year old boy saw God and found some plates and translated them. And like our church is like the ultimate conspiracy theory in some ways, right? It's like we all as members of the church believe something that's completely ridiculous to to people who don't know, like, right? And we can't prove it and we have no evidence for it. And so I, I always say, look, like everybody has beliefs that defy like evidence, physical evidence. And so I don't think that it's anything special about us, why, why there's these sorts of things that happen in our church. My, my take on that would be uh, that probably outside of the U.S. or, or, or you know, in other places, the church lacks the, the density of, of, of members maybe to, to ignite or create some of these cases or at least to get them to be super visible. But I do think that uh, the, the way we preach the gospel and the, the people that, that resonate with it and that come, there, um, maybe there is an over-indexing, an over-representation of people that might be more susceptible to, to things like that as well. I can think of a, of a, of a couple instances in, in my personal experience growing up in Chile where I did see a couple brothers that kind of got carried away and creating kind of their own groups and never really evolved into something bad. But th- there's like this uh, potential for people to start following other people and that might be not unique to our church but i think that it is uh potentially something that happens because of the way we preach the gospel because of the people that resonate with it and then boom it happens and the more critical mass you have like in the u.s you end up with people that really end up behaving badly at scale like the the cases of (laughs) Lori vallow or ruby frankie we're all used to believing things that friends and family think is a little bit crazy right and so that's true (laughs) 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 <laughs> I think another another aspect, and uh, this isn't one a story that we've talked about a lot of Mormons behaving badly, but I do want to jump back to the January story of the um, Enoch man um, who who shot his entire family and then himself. Michael Haight was his name, and um, you know when that story broke, it really 
it was shocking to me. But then throughout the year, we had more things about like um, abuse that had been happening and um, the way that the church had dealt with allegations of abuse. And this this Enoch family kind of felt like that to me, like abuse had been happening for a long time. Um, but this this father, Michael Haight, he was a leader in the church. He was seen as a good community member. And so um, by the time that he finally you know, um, murdered his entire family, there were, there were things that could have been done. There were steps that could have been taken, um, by community, but instead, you know, it was more looked at as like, how can we help this man, which I'm not against, I'm not against that. But one of the final stories about this, this, um, case is that, um, he, Michael Haight, he worried about portraying the perfect life, right? So he has a lot of journals that have been found and um, and mainly his overriding feeling is that um, we need to have a perfect family and we need to portray a perfect family. I think that happens in a lot of these abuse cases too, right? Like let's not say what's happening. Let's not report what's happening because we need on the surface level to appear as the perfect family. And And I do think that's a culture that leads to bad things happening a lot of time, right? Like instead of seeking for repentance or um, seeking to um, find help, we seek to cover things because we want to portray ourselves as really perfect people. Yeah, that's, that's very, very dangerous. I think I, I saw it many times and I've, I still see it. Like, I mean, people just burn out by doing that because no one is perfect. I think it's an unattainable goal in any level, in any possible level. So anytime you want, you know, to portray yourself as the perfect family, I mean, perfect kids, perfect house, you know, it's just an strenuous, you know, activity in itself, right? So it's just sad because that, that, that leads people to do very, very bad things. And then we've heard lots of bad Mormons this year. And probably, <laughs> again, it's just by the fact that sometimes people um, interpret that we have to be perfect. Right. Well, in reality, perfection doesn't come in terms of the external things. It comes into the internal things that happen within us and, and within our hearts and within our minds. And then that extends into our family members. And if yeah. people see you differently, it's not because you're beautiful or you have a new car or the wonderful house. It's just because you're different within, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest challenge of members of a church. So once we understand that, that the insight is more important than the appearances, then probably we're going to to reach yeah. some very interesting, you know, worship levels in, in many yeah. You know, we, we have uh, we have a lot of fun, obviously, on this week of Mormons with the the concept there, the segment of Mormons behaving badly. But I appreciate this discussion of that just being reflective on. We have such an opportunity as a community, as a religious community, the way that we're structured, our wards, our communities, and uh, to never assume like people are doing okay, or or we get so much in our silos of you know the kids' soccer tournament, the things going on in our families that you show up to church and you really haven't interacted with anybody. And now with two-hour church, you really don't interact with them at church. And so that's one thing that I'm <clears throat> I pound this drum a lot, you know, on leading saints and whatnot. And one thing I'm trying to do in my own life and my own ward is is creating that community aspect so that if there is abuse going on or there's that moment that maybe that friendships developed that finally, you know, that sister opens up to another sister about it and and. Uh, pretty much all of us have probably served in callings where we get a, a more real perspective into the lives of families. And you think, whoa, like that, this is not the, the Leona cover 
picture perfect family that walks into sacrament meeting on Sunday. There's a lot going on, you know, and and so you know it's fun to talk about Mormons behaving badly, but I think this is a, a good invitation to the the this week in Mormon audience to really lean in and and reach out to people, create a community, and be real at church and and talk about problems, and and maybe we can. Uh, shrink our list of future Mormons behaving badly. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. That's awesome. our that's our New Year's resolution for next year. All <laughs> listeners, let's <laughs> let's narrow the list. <laughs> less <clears throat> less less material for Mormons behaving badly. Yes, yeah. I want well, I Tiffany board on each episode that she's on. She's <laughs> like, well, I guess talking about yeah. another temple open house. But <laughs> so. Tiffany, anything Before- else to, around Mormons behaving badly for the year of twenty twenty three? No, I think I think we've I think we've beaten this horse to death as well. So, All right. All right. <laughs> can, I a, can I add a bonus track to that before we move on very quickly? Yeah, because uh, this one hits home a little bit, and it's the early. I think it was in February that the news broke of the SEC in the U.S. Oh yes, because and, I do believe yeah. I said when I recorded I gave the Church Mormons behaving badly for the SEC fine. So I agree with I you, Daniel. We we need to we need to go there. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember there, and we, we don't need to discuss it much because I think it was well well covered. But uh, I was looking at the the rankings that each of us gave to to the news, and that was one one of the, the top two uh, when you weighed all of the averages. Yeah. And, uh, and why does it hit home? Like I'm currently serving as a bishop here in your ward, and of course I'm not going to divulge anything that that is private. But I, I will say this: that uh, this is a topic that comes up in in in, in conversation with with members, and that uh, it has created. I, I think it, out of all of the the news that are kind of more U.S. centric, this is probably the one that has permeated beyond uh, the U.S., especially with members that are a bit more kind of news aware and. And I think that for good reason. And uh, it, I'm just going to say that it doesn't make it any easier to serve as a bishop when things like this happen. Because we, we, we need to, to, you know, somehow, you know, uh, you know, the the responsibility to explain these things out it's outsourced to us, and we're not necessarily equipped with with all of the what's needed to do it in the best way possible. Um, uh, but I do, uh, uh, I do appreciate though that it has. Uh, at least trigger conversations that are really honest and really raw with with, with, with people. And I'm not, on that, I'm not talking about my experience as a bishop. I'm talking kind of beyond that as a, as a global church community. First, to fully, once and for all, acknowledge that the church is an organization that, just like any other organization, is fallible. And that inspiration doesn't equal uh, infallibility. And that's that is so so difficult to drive home and to, to really understand really what it looks like and uh, and it hurts when things like this happen but i'm glad that it did happen in in that sense that at least it's something that we can refer back to and say you know what we do make mistakes and here's one uh-huh. and and it's quite clear and there's no double readings to this and how do we move on from here uh, i th- i think can lead us to a much healthier place as a church community with ca- non capital c and hopefully as well as a capital c church you know as a, as a as the massive institution that we are as well very good very good all right any other stories that we need to hit well i just want to sh- I was going to say, I just want to share my favorite story of the year, if I can share my favorite story of the year. Let's do it. Okay. So I discussed this just within the last month or so when I recorded, and this ties into the giving machines. 
And there was a story that Deseret News did, and they did a follow-up. So in 2019, they gave 270 chickens to 90 women, I believe, in Africa. So each woman got three chickens, baby chickens. And so these were women who they'd never owned anything in their life. You know, it was always their husband who owned stuff. And so all of a sudden, they have these chickens. And so then the pandemic hit, so the church couldn't really follow up. So I believe it was around 2021 that the church went back for a follow-up just to see, you know, what was going on with the with the chickens. And they discovered that these 270 chickens had multiplied and replenished the earth to turn into 5,000 chickens. And with those 5,000 chickens, those women had become really wealthy in their villages. First of all, they were able to use the eggs to send their daughters to school. The money that they made from selling the eggs, they could send their daughters to school, which was huge because those daughters otherwise would not have had the opportunity to go to school. Uh, They became really well-respected in their villages. They were able to buy other animals as well. And then the church contracted with them to say, hey, will you produce 7,000 baby chicks for us for the next go round of Light the World that we can then give to other women? And so they ended up with, I think, $30,000 from these 7,000 baby chicks that they produced for the church. And just, it really just magnified to me kind of the ripple effect, you know, that you throw a rock in the water and you see a small ripple and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And how just those chickens were not very expensive for the people who donated the money for those chickens and all of the good that those chickens did and how those chickens changed the lives of the women who received them. And I just, that was just absolutely my favorite story of the year to show how just the little things that we do have a ripple effect and have a big impact in the lives of others. And I think that's awesome. Love it. Let's continue this trend of, uh, let's each maybe mention a feel good story that uh, you appreciated from 2023 as we wrap up here. I like that. Who, who wants to go next? Well, Kurt, I wanted to hear your story from the YSA conference. Okay. Like as far as my participation there? Yeah. You, you just teased at the beginning of the episode that you were going to tell us more and I've been waiting this oh, whole time. <laughs> well, I guess I, not that I have like a juicy details or anything. So, so oh. backstage, Elder Bednar approached me and he said, you better, you better stop this this weekend more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I've never met any of the 12 on that, uh, on that platform. But, uh, so yeah, I, uh, just, I had the opportunity, you know, to, to walk around the, the YSA conference, which was held in, um, in Salt Lake city as a 41 year old, uh, hip, you know, dad, I walked <laughs> around there and it was just inspiring to see that, that the venue packed. Um, I was invited to uh, be one of the speakers in, uh, in one of the many sessions they had, they had, they just lined up a bunch of speakers and I had, uh, I think a like 30 minute time slot, uh, along with others to, to talk about, uh, to talk to that audience. And so that was, uh, I jumped to that opportunity. They also got me tickets to the, um, the concert that was held in the Delta center. And if I was a better hip dad, I would remember the, the singer, obviously, was um, it one Republic, one, one Republic and then Jordan, uh, two Jordans, <laughs> two <laughs> Michael Jordans. Jordan. Jo- Wait, did you have Jordan sparks? Was it Jordan yeah, sparks? Jordan sparks. <laughs> And Jordan, uh, I forget, forget his name, but um, phenomenal speakers. And the moment when uh, Jordan, 
want to say Smith. Anyways, so uh, the, the moment that Jordan broke out in, I'm trying to be like Jesus, and that whole arena sing along with him, it was like, I mean, the clouds could have split, Jesus could have returned, and I would have not have been surprised. It was such a powerful moment wow. Um, wow. When, when that happened. And, and then, so I just loved to, to see the church. I mean, you think about, you know, One Republic being invited by the church to come sing in that venue. It was it's sort of like, yeah. you know, sitting there thinking, this is cool because the church is doing something different, you know, and, and they're trying something and, and they don't necessarily have control over things. And there's some awkward moments where the lead singer, Ron Republic, said some things where I'm like, I don't think you understand the audience you're speaking to, but okay. Like, <laughs> you know, they'd sort of make mention of like, oh, yeah, like I grew up in the church. Yep. That's it. Okay, moving on. on. Like, I'm like, so you're like, don't you still believe in Jesus now? Like, what's going on here? Anyways, but uh, just a fun experience. So yeah, that'll be my feel good story of 2023, being a part of that and witnessing it. And I hope uh, many more uh, efforts on the YSA front. I actually, many people don't know, I actually consulted directly with the church to create a uh, YSA focused leadership um, podcast. That there's six six uh, episodes out and yeah. so Great i'm series, not on that yeah. podcast but i'm behind the scenes it's my equipment that they're using so <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah just cool to see the church recognizing the attention maybe that demographic needs and they want to make a place for them and and because many are losing faith during that that phase of life so yeah i think that leads to my feel-good story kurt let's hear it Melissa. um well i have two the first one is that Mitt Romney announces he won't run for re-election. I was going to joke about that too, <laughs> Melissa. Me and you, that we're together. You feel good. I, I felt <laughs> so good, good when I not a Romney <laughs> fan here. I think Melissa, we're in the same camp. <laughs> so well, um, run again. I'm going to say no. Mormons behaving badly. Mitt Romney not running because I wanted him to run again. Uh, <laughs> that he sell off into the sunset anyway. Yeah. Um, I actually yeah. picked for my feel good story the Latter day Saint Tongi, who won American yes. Idol. Um, not that I think American Idol is the most relevant thing in the world. I mean, I do think winning it is hard. And I did happen to watch a few episodes this season of Tongi, and he he really just had the, the sweetest nature about him. Like he was just such a sincere, like you just this kindness emanated from him when he sang. But I think what he represents for me is his whole generation. And you kind of saw this with the YSA conference, you know, here's this young man who's trying to find a way to be relevant in the world. And he's, he's doing it by sharing his talent. And I just think for me throughout this year, and maybe it's because I had the opportunity to get called to serve in a, a young single adult ward, but I'm just looking at this generation of people. My kids are this generation, and I'm seeing them that they are living the gospel differently. They are, they are doing really good things, and they're using their talents to spread the gospel. So instead of using their words to spread the gospel, they're really like finding what they're good at and sharing it with the world. And I don't know if it's because they're more of an internet generation that they're able to do that. But, but I see that as a really, really positive thing. The other thing I see in this generation is they've changed the language around the church in general. So like I, I hear a lot more of instead of, instead of God, I hear heavenly parents. Like I hear that much more in common talk among this generation, you know? Um, and instead of, you know, instead of the talk about like being, being so good and doing everything right, I hear a lot more talk about about grace. I hear a lot more talk about acceptance. I hear a lot more inclusion. And so to me, when I, when I look and see, you know, what's going right and what's going good in, in the church and in the world, 
it's the way that this new generation is um, is living their lives and sharing the gospel. And, and I think that's awesome. Love My it. feel-good story is so narrow, but uh, it's Lloyd Newell was called as a mission president. So Lloyd Newell has been the voice of music and the spoken word for probably 30 years, maybe more than that. And before that, he was the voice of pretty much everything I ever heard that came from the church. Um, but he's just such a kind person. Um, so my Melissa mentioned this before. Our mom works with the Tabernacle Choir. And I would say maybe 18 years ago, he met my son, who at the time was just a young, like a primary age kid. And I'm not joking. Every time he sees my mom, he asks about my son and how he's doing. And he's taught teachings of the living prophets at BYU for a while. And um, so I just think like there are not a lot of people in the church who are like visible and um, and serving in the church. Like he's been visible and in the church and dedicated to the church for a really long time. I think he'll probably be a very kind mission president, a very nice person. So congrats, Lloyd Newell, on your release from the one and call to the other. That's right. Hope he gets a, a posh uh, location like Hawaii or something because he deserves it. He's done he's had a, lo- a long-term t- calling there. So. He could serve in Cancun. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay, so I have three but really quick ones. So the first one uh, is somewhat feel good for this reason. The UK safeguarding standards changing middle of the year, uh, introducing uh, what's called a DBS check, kind of like a background check, and a number of other adjustments, including a state calling of, of a safeguarding specialist and a number of other, other things, which more than the policy, the feel uh, good story, why is it a feel good story to me, is that all of that came in association with uh, groups here of members and former members that were engaging in activism to to create change around this topic and the way that the the area Europe North area I believe it would have been it got split about a year ago but the way that the Europe area or the Europe North area engaged with this to me it was remarkable in its fruits because rather than responding in a way that was taking it as a, 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 you know um, uh, antagonistical or, or something like that they ended up taking the feedback and introducing change and while the, the, the approach that, that this organization that was driving for this uh, was legit activism, like as a bishop, I did get a letter on, 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 my, on, on the chapel, you know, saying all sorts of things like this is a change, etc. Uh, but then the, the church implemented this, says uh, a lot of good things to me that, that we can engage with activism in a healthy way um, and everybody wins. At the end of the day, it's a bit in contra- contrast with what I've seen in the in the news lately. We haven't talked about it today, uh, uh, about the the area of the church in California with the whole thing about women sitting in in the stand uh, mm-hmm. during sacrament meetings and things like that, where the opposite approach seems to have been taken, and we're seeing kind of the 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 the, the fallout from from that. But why does it feel good? It's because I believe that we can be a bit more active as members to engage with our leaders, even at the area level, to drive positive change and that makes me feel good the other two really quickly elder holland he's getting better he's the president of the quorum of the 12 it seems like he's having a, a second chance of, after being very close to, to well to dying he, he said it uh, so will this be his last dance or for how long we're going to have him we don't know but that makes me feel good because he's great and finally the twin uh, host gender makeup i think this is much more reflective 
of the real church. Uh, I was quantifying. We have four female hosts, uh, Tiffany, Ariane, uh, Melissa, and Georgia now, who recently uh, joined us. And then we have the two Daniels and Matt. And I think, well, uh, Kurt, you as well as kind of like the CEO of, of things. But, you know. <laughs> the grand poobah. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, mafia boss or the lord of yeah, this week. I don't know. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll come up with I, that. I call you. I call you the grand poobah, <laughs> supreme leader. Okay, but um, yeah, that's great. Speaking I'm of more cult. reflective of of the real church. That's it for me. It's a very nerdy, good feeling, good kind of article. But Joseph Smith's papers are, are something that I've been reflecting on. And basically because it's such a huge endeavor to do research and, and I'm here just because of it. I'm just getting the skills and everything in a program, getting a PhD here. And I've mentioned this before. And that's the whole reason why I put like an atomic bomb in my family structure. And then we came here and left everything behind <laughs> for some years. And we're going back home, of course. But but the thing is that I'm passionate about research. And I think it's just wonderful that the church has put all of this effort and energy and of course resources to get these papers done. And it's been done in a, I would say in a very short period of time. And it's been done by someone that is not a member of the church, which provides more, you know, authenticity and, and of course following, you know, standards that, that, that are, you know, accepted by the research community and in, in a world where, where there's lots of post-truth and lots of, you know, uh, division and differences of opinion, collecting all this data and all this like firsthand information and making these volumes uh, to see the light is just, I don't know, a huge endeavor. And, and, and I applaud that again, because uh, I love the fact that the church understands that we're spiritual, of course, beings and, and, and we believe, but there are also some factual elements that need to be collected and need to be presented in a way that is organized for the wider audience to access them and to to see what's there, right? I mean, we're not hiding anything. This is the way things happened. And there are, you know, personal experiences, but this is all the collective, you know, experience that we've been accumulating and, you know, completing in volumes in such a way that we all can, you know, understand better. And, and, and I would say relate a little bit more on the human, you know, experience of, of first... Uh, church leaders and and how if it's difficult now let's imagine 200 years ago when there was nothing right they, they would had to, they had to do everything <laughs> from scratch so definitely it's good point it's uh, uh i applaud you know all the effort and and all the people involved in the project and and seeing fruition in so uh i would say little time compared to, to many other you know people doing research in in, in those spaces it's it's nice for me because I grew up hearing people tell me things that Joseph Smith had said. And so now I just have a little list and I just go to the Joseph Smith papers and I search for that thing. And I say, oh, that's what that was. Or that's actually, really he nice. didn't say that, right? <laughs> that's right. He Mostly say it's that. Like, oh, he yeah. didn't say there would be a rainbow in the, there would be no rainbow in the year before the second coming. Oh, okay. That's nice <laughs> to know. I'm looking forward to the Brigham Young papers. Any chance we get all the Brigham Young papers? <laughs> that'll be, that'll be right. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be probably a very long endeavor. Yeah. Wait, wait, double, triple time, probably. Yes. That's for sure. That'll be a project for the millennium. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Cool. All right. Do we get to everybody's uh, uh, story, the heartfelt story of the year? Awesome. Okay. I want you to stop. Uh, I want you to start thinking of where everybody's going to make one prediction as as we close out here. Uh, one prediction of twenty twenty four 
and the crazier, the better. I'm looking at you, Matt. So uh, <laughs> the apocalypse. Do I get to choose the date? There will be Jesus no rainbow. There will be no rainbow in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> so, because science will somehow stop working i don't know uh, i've been like calculating and on my own like when jesus is going to come again i think i figured it out is this the time we're ready nice all right who wants to go first and if you need to take I'll, a minute to think i'll go first okay. <clears throat> my prediction is that elder uchtdorf will be the president of the quorum of the 12 apostles oh. by the end of 2024 wow now, what has to happen for that to dying, happen? So that's sort of a morbid Yeah, how many people have to die for that to happen? <laughs> uh, so it would have to be, well, so to be acting president, you only need um, Oaks really just, to die or Nelson no, El- to die. Or Elder Holland, yeah. 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 But to be president, then El- Elder Iring would have to die too for him to be the not acting president. But that's my bold prediction, President I love your Uthor. prediction of both death and destruction. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think President Iring is actually, isn't he lower in the corner of the 12? I think he's lower. I think it goes Holland, Iring, Uchdorf. Uchdorf. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. So, if Elder Uchdorf to serve there, he would have to pass away, right? Correct. Or be president so, of the church. Yeah. And of course, we pray for their health to the. That's right. That's right. It's just a prediction. Look. Us Wait, let's disappoint Matt. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not a plan that I put into place. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, this turned on me. All right. Uh, who wants to go next? I'll go with mine. Uh, it's a conditional prediction. And it okay. is that if President Nelson makes it to be 100 and beyond, so he if he lives throughout 2024, that we will not see any major changes. I feel like he's already hmm. kind of on... on on holding pattern, kind of all of the major things have, that that he he's you know felt uh, that need to be changed. The major ones at least have happened. Even the, the change being introduced now with "Come Follow Me" being a single experience across all yeah. ages and, and groups, and but it's conditional on him staying alive for for that period. Because I do think that once there's a change, we might see some other quite meaningful changes and that would be my secondary prediction which is if something happens the first thing that i think will eventually change is some sort of return of young men's presidencies and maybe okay. i'm biased and projecting <laughs> on that but i think yeah, I yeah. Think that would be how ironic well, the welcome change. <laughs> yeah exactly so uh it's yeah. been great i love working with the youth uh, and, and and i think i would love it even more if we had that extra support that we used to have until 2018 yeah <laughs> Okay, I it's have not a, crazy... a prediction that it's not a prediction that the name of the church will go back to Mormon again. That wasn't here. <laughs> no. no. Um, since Kurt wanted the crazier the better, I've got one that's out there. Okay. All right. My prediction for 2024 is that we will see the end of release time seminary for what? high school students, and um, we wow. will go to um, either seminary that's only um, before like early morning seminary or online seminary. But along with that, we will see the increase of mission prep classes um, and mission prep experiences in our wards. It's just a prediction. I don't wow. It's based on, on absolutely nothing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but it's a prediction. Yeah, I, could... I also predict that our two Daniels, their rock band, will get back together and achieve international success with their release of the newly renovated Twim introduction song. Yeah, we, we can work yes. on that. 
That would be great. <laughs> that, that sounds about right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I like so that. one's a good prediction, one not so good. I think <laughs> Melissa is confusing prediction with manifesting something to the universe. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think mine is very local, but at the same time, I think it, it's worth mentioning. And, and we're going to have a temple here in upstate New York. Oh. I, I think I've mentioned this before. Like Palmyra? In, Palmyra is three hours and a half from here. Oh, wow. So it's not close. So in the, and then the, close, <laughs> yes, then the closest. No, the, the, the closest for us is uh, Connecticut. Uh, and that is two hours and a half. And then the other closest is New York City, which is three hours, three hours and a half, too. So, so where, my local so prediction. So are you like Utica, like Binghamton? I mean, Albany, Albany. Oh, okay. So a temple in Albany. Yes, yes. Oh. I mean, we, we actually have uh, Saratoga Springs here in very close. It's, it's one of the oh, wow. words of the stake. So, so if you hear Saratoga Springs, New York, probably it's... Is because my prediction came to reality, so let's let's hope for it. Yes, love it. That's because last, last time that was a, a, that name was mentioned, all the people here in the state were, "Woo! Finally, we have a temple." But it was and sorry, it was Springs, Utah. Utah. Yes. Uh, so let's see. Awesome, Tiffany. You want to go? I I will go. I will make an outlandish one. We are we are headed into a presidential election year that promises to uh, have all sorts of. Uh, it will be rocking and rolling. Let's just say it that way. And I think it will cause further divides within the church because I think there are a lot of people who equate religion and politics as the same thing. And I think it will then subsequently force the church to take maybe a more stronger stand on things that we wish that they would come out and say, because I think there's just going to, I think the division is going to divide even, even further. I'm going to make a local prediction as well. I still think over here in Western Idaho slash Eastern Oregon, we're going to get another little mini temple. All right. Now you can say, Matt. Oh. What I heard you say, Tiffany, is that Joe Biden is going to win the presidential election. Is that what you were trying to say? <laughs> no, I was not saying that at all. I'm just saying both candidates, both major leading candidates right now have issues. And 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 there there are a lot of uh, there's already a lot of division in the church uh, on on certain candidates, and uh, I think the brethren have been walking a very fine line, trying to be nice and say, "Hey, let's let's play nice with each other and let's not be name calling." And I think that there are a lot of people who wish that they would take a stronger stand, and I think that when they do take a stronger stand, it will probably not be in the direction that those people wishing them to take a stronger stand. We'll find do, that they do like. Do you think that they would actually say vote for this person or don't no. vote for this person? Not that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think they'll take that strong of a stand. But I, I think maybe on behaviors they might take a stronger stand. Yeah. And with the implicitness being, we don't like this behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope they they read in uh, social media somewhere in the word of wisdom and just say, "Turns out it's forbidden, folks. Everybody <laughs> off." I think that would that would solve it. So. That's not my prediction, but it's one strategy they can it's take. A so, um, so uh, my prediction is, uh, I guess, Matt, you sort of joked about it, but not that the church is going to return to Mormon, but uh, I think the church will shift, take a few more steps, being more comfortable using the term Mormon. Uh, and now never believe anybody who has an unnamed source, but I have an unnamed source. 
I talked with the CE, the, not the CEO, the SEO guy, the SEO guy that works uh, for, for the church and does all, you know, search engine optimization for the church. And he says, this is definitely a thing. It seems like when they made the shift, you know, with President Nelson's encouragement to go with the, the full name of the church, all of us marketers or those with backgrounds in marketing were like, no, this is not good, you know. Uh, but now the lawyers are uh, in their ear saying, ah, you know, if we don't if we don't at least own it to some degree, we're going to lose trademarks and uh, whatnot. So we got to own it a little bit. So I think um, with my unnamed source, you'll you'll see a shift of more use of the word Mormon, which is why we are not changing the name of this week at Mormons. Uh, so. <laughs> some validation, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Awesome. Now, um, anybody want to? plug something before we sign off matt you you always have your podcast plug and things any you want to oh wanna yeah plug that yeah now? the latter day lens it's a lot of fun we talk about religion and politics yeah yes. it's a good podcast really i enjoy it and you have plugs? a plug we, we have a plug with yeah. danny or band grand capitals or grand capitals but we haven't talked about much in the podcast but if you want to listen to some uh, alternative rock music in Spanish and a couple songs in English and a corpus of about four or five releases. Go look it up in Spotify or uh, Apple Music or whatever you get your music. So uh, there are some video clips, though. Listens. I mean, oh yeah, YouTube yes, as well. So you we can. Have. Yes. Yeah. So Gran Capital is that Gran that's the Capitals. name? Okay. Yeah. So this is as the as the owner of this week in mormons i am asking that you create an intro music that we will hopefully <laughs> feature at the end of this episode if if that gives you enough time yeah. but i would love to even if it's an existing clip you have uh I, let's i was going to say we can launch it along i was going to say we can launch it along with the new hymn book but that's that probably going to be like <laughs> too, long. Slam, <laughs> too right? late yeah, yeah, right. Right. i like the shorter uh time frame so yeah i like the challenge All right. All right, Grand Capital. They will will be featured on This Week in Mormons. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Uh, And I have one more awesome uh, announcement, but I'll first say that uh, the one thing I'll plug is, obviously, I spend most of my time with the Leading Saints podcast. And if you're not listening to the Leading Saints podcast, you should, even if you're not a leader. Uh, Put it, you can find it the same place you find This Week in Mormons, and we'd love to have you engage with content there. And then um, obviously uh, TWIM is a remarkable podcast that we plan on continuing throughout 2024 with these awesome hosts. And I'm sure Tiffany will introduce some uh, temporary co-hosts that maybe will turn more permanent in the future. Who knows? But um, please support us through Patreon. Uh, we are, th- this podcast doesn't break even. <laughs> so, and I would love to get to a point that these <laughs> wonderful hosts are actually uh, paid a little something. Maybe I give them a little gift card to the Desert Industries or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we would love to, to grow uh, our influence there. And, you know, funds are always uh, part of that. So go to, we'll link to it in the show notes. But Patreon, you can become a patron. And uh, there is unique content there that you can access, which is always mentioned at the end of the episode. And uh, I'm also pleased to announce that we have a sponsor, a new sponsor yes! in 2024. And you're going to love this. It's, to me, it just fits the This Week in Mormon brand so perfectly because growing up, I remember my father waking up on a, on a cold Sunday morning, opening the Deseret News and uh, sipping from a cup of Postum. That's right, folks. Postum. <laughs> really? Postum. sponsoring This Week in Mormons. Uh, wow. And all of you hosts are getting your uh, some postum, and you're going to. Uh, if you, has, has anybody not in, not had postum here? It is my wife's favorite drink. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, 
Yeah, I have no idea. She puts a little eggnog in her postum. <laughs> postum yeah. would be our echo, Danny. Yes, postum oh. is like echo for us. Yeah, yeah so it's a, it's a coffee large. alternative yeah. yes, and yeah. uh, sort of the Mormon coffee. And uh, it's like they, barley? they have some new yeah, yeah. It's a barley drink. They've got, uh, they've got the original flavor. They've got the coffee flavor, which I quite like. And then uh, cocoa as well. So I don't know about what it was with turning 40, but the, like the day I turned 40, I just crave something warm and caffeinated in the morning. Now, Postum is not caffeinated, but no. um, you can you can make you it. Can you can pour Dr. Pepper into it. A little Diet Coke, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> something soft, yes. Yeah, but nothing. I, I crave something warm in the morning to get to get my body going. So, um, yeah, that'll be a fun uh, a fun sponsor to help us get to break even. And uh, hopefully we'll grow the Postum empire. Kurt, I'm going to make it my personal mission in 2024. Maybe I ought to make this my 24, 2024 prediction. You know how I love crazy old school Mormon recipes. I am going to go in search of postum recipes in Mormon cookbooks. And I'm going to see what I can come up with. And I'm going to cook with the postum. And we're going to talk about it on the podcast. That's right. It I'll tell you what my wife does. alternative anymore. So, yeah. Gonna... My wife does postum with eggnog in it. It's her favorite Ooh. beverage in the world. Yeah. Yeah. There's your first. Cole mono, Danny. Cole mono. Yeah. Yes. In Spanish, tail, that's what we yeah, yeah, it's our monkey tail. It's like a beverage that we actually drink this season in 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 Chile. So yeah, it's it's an alcoholic beverage. But then members of a church will do it without the alcohol. But it's, you do it without kind alcohol? Of no, just kidding. It <laughs> 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 suddenly turned into a temple writing yeah. interview. All right. <laughs> All right, Tiffany, do you want to lead us out? <laughs> Sure. Twim Nation, thank you very much for joining us today on this special edition wrap-up of the year 2023 in review. We appreciate your continued support. And as always, you can find us on all the social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, which is now known as X. And you can find us on Instagram. And if you have any questions, comments, or complaints, reach out at contact at thisweekinmormons.com and uh, they will land in Matt's mailbag and he will be the one that is responsible for responding to all of those. I have duly assigned him that, whether they're about him or about me or anybody else for that matter. So Twim Nation, thanks for a great 2023.